rhapsody, enthusiastic expression of feeling, an epic poem, a recitation, highly emotional utterance, literary, music in irregular form, stitched together, improvised, a collection of effusive, extravagant discourse, rapturous, ecstasy, You're listening to a Rose Rhapsody. I understand. Yeah. Uh, so when I hear I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I think of it just yelling right now. It's not a And now, the read. Chapter 14. I do not know what time I got to bed. I remember undressing, putting on a bathrobe, and standing out on the balcony. I knew I was quite drunk, and when I came in, I put on the light over the head of the bed and started to read. I was reading a book by Turgenev. Probably I read the same two pages over several times. It was one of the stories in A Sportsman's Sketches. I had read it before, but it seemed quite new. The country became very clear, and the feeling of pressure in my head seemed to loosen. I was very drunk, and I did not want to shut my eyes because the room would go round and round. If I kept on reading, that feeling would pass. I heard Brett and Robert Cohn come up the stairs. Cohn said good night outside the door and went on up to his room. I heard Brett go into the room next door. Mike was already in bed. He had come in with me an hour before. He woke as she came in, and they talked together. I heard them laugh. I turned off the light and tried to go to sleep. It was not necessary to read any more. I could shut my eyes without getting the wheeling sensation. But I could not sleep. There's no reason why, because it is dark, you should look at things differently from when it is light. Now the hell there isn't. I figured that all out once, and for six months I never slept with the electric light off. That was another bright idea. To hell with women, anyway. To hell with you, Brett Ashley. Women made such swell friends. Awfully swell. In the first place, you had to be in love with a woman to have a basis of friendship. I had been having Brett for a friend. I had not been thinking about her side of it. I had been getting something for nothing. That only delayed the presentation of the bill. The bill always came. That was one of the swell things you could count on. I thought I had paid for everything. Not like the woman pays and pays and pays. No idea of retribution or punishment. Just exchange of values. You gave up something and got something else. Or you worked for something. You paid some way for everything that was any good. I paid my way into enough things that I liked so that I had a good time. Either you paid by learning about them or by experience or by taking chances or by money. Enjoying living was learning to get your money's worth and knowing when you had it. You could get your money's worth. The world was a good place to buy in. It seemed like a fine philosophy. In five years, I thought it will seem just as silly as all the other fine philosophies I've had. Perhaps that wasn't true, though. Perhaps as you went along, you did learn something. I did not care what it was all about. All I wanted to know was how to live in it. Maybe if you found out how to live in it, you learned from that what it was all about. I wished Mike would not behave so terribly to Cone, though. Mike was a bad drunk, 
Brett was a good drunk, Bill was a good drunk, Cone was never drunk. Mike was unpleasant after he passed a certain point. I liked to see him hurt Cone. I wished he would not do it, though, because afterward it made me disgusted at myself. That was morality, things that made you disgusted afterward. No, that must be immorality. That was a large statement. What a lot of bilge I could think up at night. What rot, I could hear Brett say it. What rot. And when you were with the English, you got into the habit of using English expressions in your thinking. The English spoken language, the upper classes, anyway, must have fewer words than the Eskimo. Of course, I didn't know anything about the Eskimo. Maybe the Eskimo was a fine language, say the Cherokee. I didn't know anything about the Cherokee, either. The English talked with inflected phrases, one phrase to mean everything. I liked them, though. I liked the way they talked. Take Harris. Still, Harris was not the upper classes. I turned on the light again and read. I read the Turgenev. I knew that now, reading it in the oversensitized state of my mind after much too much brandy, I would remember it somewhere and afterward it would seem as though it had really happened to me. I would always have it. That was another good thing you paid for and then had. Sometime along toward daylight I went to sleep. The next two days in Pamplona were quiet, and there were no more rows. The town was getting ready for the fiesta. Workmen put up the gateposts that were to shut off the side streets when the bulls were released from the corrals and came running through the streets in the morning on their way to the ring. The workmen dug holes and fitted in their timbers, each timber numbered for its regular place. Out on the plateau, beyond the town, employees of the bull ring exercised picador horses, galloping them stiff-legged on the hard, sun-baked fields behind the bull ring. The big gate of the bull ring was open, and inside the amphitheater was being swept. The ring was rolled and sprinkled, and carpenters replaced weakened or cracked planks in the barrera. Standing at the edge of the smooth rolled sand, you could look up in the empty stands and see old women sweeping out the boxes. Outside, the fence that led from the last street of the town to the entrance of the bull ring was already in place and made a long pen. The crowd would come running down with the bulls behind them on the morning of the day of the first bullfight. Out across the plain where the horse and cattle fair would be, some gypsies had camped under the trees. The wine and the guardiente sellers were putting up their booths. One booth advertised Anis del Toro, the cloth sign hung against the planks in the hot sun. In the big square that was the center of the town there was no change yet. We sat in the white wicker chairs on the terrace of a cafe and watched the motor buses come in and unload peasants from the country coming into the market, and we watched the buses fill up and start out with peasants sitting with their saddlebags full of the things they had bought in the town. The tall gray motor buses were the only life of the square, except for the pigeons and the man with the hose who sprinkled the graveled square and watered the streets. In the evening was the paseo. For an hour after dinner, everyone, all the good-looking girls, the officers from the garrison, all the fashionable people of the town, walked in the street on one side of the square while the cafe tables filled with the regular after-dinner crowd. During the morning, I usually sat in the cafe and read the Madrid papers, and then walked in the town or out in the country. Sometimes Bill went along. Sometimes he rode in his room. Robert Cohn spent the mornings studying Spanish or trying to get a shave at the barber shop. Brett and Mike never got up until noon. We all had a vermouth at the cafe. 
It was a quiet life, and no one was drunk. I went to church a couple of times, once with Brett. She said she wanted to hear me go to confession, but I told her that not only was it impossible, but it was not as interesting as it sounded, and besides it would be in a language she did not know. We met Cohn as we came out of the church, and although it was obvious he had followed us, yet he was very pleasant and nice. And we all three went for a walk out to the gypsy camp, and Brett had her fortune told. It was a good morning. There were high white clouds above the mountains. It had rained a little in the night, and it was fresh and cool on the plateau, and there was a wonderful view. We all felt good, and we felt healthy, and I felt quite friendly to Cohn. You could not be upset about anything on a day like that. That was the last day before the fiesta. You have been listening to The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. I'm Christopher Lane. Episodes of The Rose Rhapsody drop the first Monday of every month and can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you take your listening pleasure. That fabulous horn you've been hearing belongs to Marcus Roots, along with his collaborator on the keys, Adrian Ruiz. Additional tracks from Sessions of Rhapsody in Blue feature guitarist Matt Gold, Hater Garcia on percussion, and the tenor saxophone of Irvin Pierce. To learn more about us and what we do, head over to theroserhapsody.com. And if you love interesting new content as much as we do, spread the word or drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.
This week's podcast was produced by Trevor Morgan and Richard C. Washer and is a product of the Rose Theater Company. All rights reserved. I'm Leslie Kopolinski. Now let's get back to that horn. (laughs) 